So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you'll find our page. And on Twitter, it's at Folk on Falcons. So instead of talking about the rugby, which we'll come on to in due course, our European fixtures, um, I think there's only one place that the world of rugby podcasts, news articles, social media, etc. has been in the last few days. And that's this decision by the RFU to introduce from National 1 in the men's game and the Championship down in the women's game, waist-high tackling as of the 1st of July. What are your thoughts on it as a player that still plays amateur rugby? Um, well, where to begin, really? Um, no, not only the decision in itself is farcical, it's actually dangerous in the sense of it's dangerous for the I think for the future of the sport. It's dangerous for grassroots rugby. It's dangerous at every level of the amateur game um, because it, it's. But we'll start with the current players. You know, um, imagine if you've been playing for goodness knows how many years now, and you know suddenly you have to completely change the way you play because you know it, it will change the how you play because you know you have to suddenly decide how, when you go into a tackle you suddenly have to check yourself you have to double you know you have to overthink you have to sort of think well if, if i go how far above the waist is can i go if i go an inch above do i get a penalty against do i get a sin bin or something is it up to the referee and of course that makes it more dangerous because then you stop and how how do you go for the knees you know, and then you know, there's all sorts of concussion issues with tackling of the knees and thighs rather than, say, chest. So from a practical playing point of view, it's absolutely farcical. But then if I go back to the point about how the future rugby clubs, I mean, straight away from, from my sort of clubs group chat, it was players talking about, oh, you know, that's it. I'm just going to retire now, you know, or what, you know, essentially where's the fun in this and this is ridiculous. And we know that grassroots rugby isn't in the healthiest state in the moment. And if you do everything possible to put off you know, you, your most keenest existing players, your most experienced players, then, you know, it's only going to have one trajectory and that's crashing downwards. And it, it's absolutely ridiculous. And it, it's a decision made by people who, I don't know, I, I, it's hard to really say this, but have no idea about the sport and never don't play the sport or certainly don't play it nowadays. I mean, then we come to the other practicalities of playing it. I mean, in terms of what do you do with picking goes, what do you do if if you're six foot seven, you're tackling a five foot six scrum half, for example? How how the hell do you do that? What happens to malls in a game? You know, apart from something from a line or whatever, it, it completely changes how the game's played. And then you, you look at it from the levels from National League One. I mean, National League One is a fairly high it's a fairly high standard. I mean, it's the third tier, and it will be a completely different game. Going from National League One, if you to to the leagues above, of course, and then you know if you're a National League One player, you're obviously playing at this fairly high level. Suddenly, you have to completely change the, the way the game's played and how you play it. As you know, I know there's no professional teams, but maybe some there's some semi-pro players there. You know, it's sort of a semi-livelihood for some people. It's a way of making an income and a living for some of these people, and it's completely. You know, the rug's being completely pulled from underneath her. It's absolutely terrible. So, a bit of background to the RFU Council, who gave the, not the ultimatum, but decided that this was going to happen. Apparently, they represent the players and clubs across the country, but it's the first time I can think of that any union in workplace or in sport or anything has done something so at odds with all their members without even checking it. And I was an ex-player. Um, oh, I am an ex-player. I was a player. The reason I stopped was from repeated concussions. And I can tell you now, the vast majority of my concussions were from hips and knees. 
There's a couple I got in rucks, but that was just me piling them with my head in the wrong place. I never once got a concussion being tackled, and I never once got a concussion from somebody's upper body. The vast majority were from me hitting the head with a hard bit of somebody's shin or leg or hip or something whilst tackling them. So I don't quite know what they're trying to achieve on the safety front here. I think it's very easy to say, oh, well, it's very unsightly when the professional players bang heads with each other and they both have to go off for a head injury assessment, which, yes, it's true, but at the amateur game, you actually very rarely get bangs of heads like that. And I think it's only the upper levels where the players have such offloading ability that there's this massive incentive to tackle as high as they do anyway. It's not like at the lower levels, everyone's running around like Owen Farrell every week. It's very much not a problem that needs addressing in the amateur game, as far as I can tell. And they're addressing it in the amateur game and leaving it as it is in the professional game. And as you said, it's National One Dammit. It's a ridiculously high level of rugby. Darlington Mountain Park, National One. And this is, it's just ridiculous that you're, are you going to say there's no promotion from National One into the championship? Or suddenly the, the championship team that gets relegated, the National One team that gets promoted, suddenly have to basically learn how to play a completely different, it's absolutely laughable. And I cannot believe that nobody is subjected this to scrutiny because things like this can't go out without being scrutinised. Then it makes you think, what are all these idiots at the RFU doing? Have none of them put two and two together? Does nobody within the RFU actually go down to the local rugby club and watch games of rugby or play rugby? I, I just cannot understand it. I mean, this was trialled in the Championship Cup a year or two ago. I think pretty much the feedback from every player was that concussions was was worse because the point I mean, the point you just made there as well, where if you're forced to tackle lower, you have head-on contact with thighs and particularly knees, which does cause more injuries. I mean, imagine imagine you know your nose going into someone's knee coming up towards your face rather than say going to someone's flat on someone's chest, for example. And that's just your nose. You know, never mind. You know what can happen to you. The other parts of your head, for example, like your temple. And that championship trial was, was a failure, which is why they've never done it again. So why is it suddenly, on what evidence, on what grounds is being imposed on pretty much every single level, other level, apart from obviously championship and premiership in England? And one of the major, other major concerns that I've briefly mentioned before, and I think this is one of the first ones which occurred to me as well as the, you know, sort of knee contact one, was in terms of how how the hell a referee is going to, you know, manage this? <laughs> because... You know, how, how is a referee in, in a game, and obviously in a fast-flowing game, going to tell how high a tackle is above the waist? Will it vary from one referee to the other? I mean, you'll have you'll have 10 yellow cards in the first 20 minutes. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then if referees are just going to kind of ignore it, then what's the point? What's the point of causing all this chaos for that? If they are going to force it, then you're not going to, you know, you won't get any completed games. And I don't think I've ever played with any player at any team in all the years I've played amateur rugby over the, who, who, who've said, oh, no, no, this is too dangerous. We have to lower the, the tackle height. No, no. Oh, even I'm an adult. I think this is too dangerous. No, no, we have to stop this. You know, they're all consenting adults. They all want to play rugby because it is rugby. Yes, you ha- and and yes, you do get penalised for high tackles, for a genuine high tackle. And you know, we we all follow the sport. We all know what a high tackle is. But as consenting adults, you know, why can't we tackle someone chest height? You know, where's the danger of that? We all consent to that and just leave the game as, as it is. It's as you say. You know, what, where's the consultation? And are, do these people like, even actually know what sort of rugby is really? Yeah, you've mentioned an interesting thing there about consenting adults. In the in the junior game, I could just about kind of understand it in mini rugby because there is such a size difference between certain children at certain ages. But if you're ever going to try and be a professional rugby player, at what point do you suddenly start tackling people high? 
I started playing first team rugby at the age of 17. And imagine me as a 17-year-old. Not I wasn't anywhere near good enough for an academy, but if you're suddenly an academy player, you've never actually tackled somebody at the level that you're going to play at professional level. They're basically creating a whole new sport for the upper two tiers of the men's game and international levels. And I, I'm, I'm just absolutely flabbergasted. And what, what my, or my hunch is that obviously they've released a bit of commentary saying, oh, well, there's been studies in France that have showed that it's beneficial. But the study in France it hasn't released all of its data. It said there are less head-on-head contacts, but didn't state the effect on concussions in general there are a few who haven't referenced it explicitly. And it was actually from the armpit nipple sort of height, not the the waist. And what my gut tells me is the RFU have been told by a legal firm, you're going to get a load of legal complaints in the next few years. You've got to show, show yourselves as doing something about it. And the reaction to this hasn't been, oh, well, we'll just let everybody know that rugby is a contact sport and there are repercussions and you're all voluntarily taking part in it. No one's forcing you to. It's so that the mothers and fathers of Horatio and Quentin, who are prep school rugby, don't sue the games teacher for getting a bang on the head. And then 30 or 40 years later, say, oh, well, it's the, it's rugby's fault, whoever's got a brain problem, whether or not it happened, or they're just covering their arses. There may be a few, but anybody that plays the game or has played the game in recent memories or likes to watch grassroots rugby, I cannot believe that any person seriously asked this there might be some people that say oh maybe the tag should be lowered a bit but it's just absolutely mad yeah i mean i made the point about oh it's dangerous for the amateur game because the points we said but you made a point there about the potential of the professional game because if you've got let's say this is implemented and it's a few years down the line obviously you start to get a new batch of young players coming through into academies and they don't know how to tackle properly. And suddenly they have to almost sort of learn from scratch how to tackle. Surely that's dangerous as well. Either it's dangerous, it also produces a lesser quality player. So that obviously affects the highest level of the sport as well. Um, but I think you are probably right in terms of they are just going above and beyond to cover their backs. You know, like you say, in terms of they don't want to get sued, really. Um, my also sort of cynical hunch is that, that they want to try and like show rugby as a more kind of inclusive and, and open sport. And I think the way they see of doing that is unfortunately to make it less rugby. And you see so much negative press about concussion, high tackles, this and that. And they, they think, oh, well, it, if we, we show that we want to try to get rid of that image or whatever, then maybe it shows us as more as a more inclusive sport. But at the end of the day, people want to play rugby because it's rugby. And you know, it's, it's absurd. Um, but you're right, they have those studies in France, and you're right in terms of they have the height of sort of chest nipple. The, New Zealand have done it as well. New Zealand have it there, the amateur game. They have a similar rule where it's sort of, I would say, sort of, like you say, chest nipple just below shoulders. I think if that was implemented here, I think that would be more palatable. I think that's fairly reasonable, at least to be trialed out. And I think that that can be managed more by referees in a game as well. So I think it's easier to identify if you tackle someone's shoulder height than obviously, you know, is it an inch above the waist? Um, because anything above shoulder would just be, a, you know, as a normal high tackle penalty anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just absolutely absurd. And I don't know, I, I really hope, and we all hope they will reverse it, but I don't know if they will actually. And I think that's that's the main worry. I think the only bit of glimmer of hope that I'm clinging on to is that they haven't actually released what the new laws are yet. They've just said it's going to happen. And I guess, is there a grey area of where your waist starts? And they might basically say it's from your, your nipples or your bust or whatever. And they'll, there's been a huge kickback amongst everybody in the rugby community. There's a petition that I've signed, you've signed, and over 15,000 other people have signed, basically saying, sling your hook, this is nonsense. And hopefully they take 
notice of it. But if they don't, then I've been on various WhatsApp groups and people I used to play with, and they've all just said, oh, blow this for a lark. I'm getting too old anyway. I enjoy the game that I used to play, but I'm not playing this next season. It's rubbish. So let's see what happens. But I do fear for the future, because you need the older generation in a club to bring the younger generation through us. There's there's going to be no one to play in second teams will fold then as soon as the second team folds it's the first team that folds next and before you know it all your rugby pitches will be either boring old football pitches or they'll be turned into houses and I do fear it will be the death knell the amateur sport and there's also a very cynical part of me thinking are they trying to go down the American football route of creating almost like a professional game which is a different sport from the amateur game. In the, in American football in America, you've got the NFL and college football, but you don't have the same game that your local rednecks turn out and go down to the local park to watch on a Saturday afternoon. It doesn't exist. And is part of me thinking they're trying to do that? I don't know. But somebody needs the head, head or a lot of people at the RF, you need the head examining. You just have to watch the kind of catastrophe unfurl over the last 12 months. They've, they missed Worcester and Wasps. They had the whole farcical situation of Eddie Jones getting sacked and a huge payoff and then not having a no-complete clause in his contract. Now he's off managing Australia. You've got this, and you, you do think, who are these idiots running the game and how much they're being paid to be absolutely rubbish? I reckon that the committee at your local rugby club could do a better job than the RFU, and that's saying something. Right. It's a long time since I've had a good rant like that, but it's quite an important one, and it'll probably come again and again over the next few weeks as they release more details. Um, but if we get on to the Focon Falcon side of things, since we last spoke to you, there's been two European fixtures. The first one down at Cardiff, we played a 50-75% strength team, and it was pretty much a rinse and repeat of the matchup at Kingston Park, where we're constantly outplayed by a team with a lot of international players. We saved face in the second half and towards the end, or got a few points on the board, but we were just completely run off the park. And also to top it off, Abati Imbo got his uh, red card for a high tackle. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of what we feared in terms of what would happen. And we, like you say, we're completely outplayed. We did play, like you say, there as well, a stronger team this time, but similar sort of result. I don't think it was quite as one-sided, I felt, um, as the home game, especially as we were away as well. It was always going to be a very, very tough ask. I'd say we had periods, but it was only sort of probably one team in it. And, it's a shame because I think, you know, we, we could have made a bit more of it. Fortunately, just kind of panned out how we feel, really. Yeah, and then um, going into the last weekend, we had the situation whereby if other results went our way, which was basically everybody above us losing, then we could get in with the last or the sixth place in our group. And Friday night came and went, and the three teams above us that we wanted to lose lost. And then we thought, oh, well, we're obviously going to get beaten by Cardiff because... Breve doing rubbish at the minute in the French leagues and Cardiff are battering everybody. And then, as always happens in these competitions, Cardiff went and lost at Breve. So there you are. Well, yeah, I mean, that uh, fortunately made the game a bit of a dead rubber, really, after that result. Uh, you know, you look at these tournaments, as you say, you expect results to go a certain way. And of course, they, they never do, do they? Uh, except when they go against you. Yeah, so it was a bit of a dead rubber, but they put a fairly strong side out. And um, a fairly decent performance against Connaught, actually. There's a lot of encouragement from it, but you know, I, I guess it's hard to be too excited about it because it was just too little too late, really. Um, you know, so there was some really nice tries. I mean, you can look at the highlights of the tries on the Twitter page. Um, yeah, they're really good. But like I say, I don't think it's fortunately it's not really too much to get excited about, apart from it's just a 
and win against a decent Connell side. Well, it was a decent Connell side, and you said it was dead rubber. It wasn't quite a dead rubber. We had nothing to play for. They did. They ended up in fifth position in the pool, whereas had they beaten us with a bonus point, they would have been in contention for top of the group. So for them, it's made the difference between a home semi-final and playing either sixth or fifth in uh, from Pool B, which would have been Dragons or Cheetahs. And it's meant that they've ended up in fifth place. They'll be playing Benetton away. So they got a trip to Italy out of it, which is all right. But um, yeah, they, they sent out a team to win and we beat them. And it's just frustrating that given how we played and showed we could play against them, that when you cast or when you look at the final situation or standings in the group, we were points difference-wise uh, ahead of Breathe, who were ahead of us on actual points. And had we had one bonus point somewhere along the way, then we would have ended up joint on points with them, and therefore, points difference-wise, we would have gone through in sixth position, which would have taken us a trip to Clenethley. But when you cast your mind back to the Connaught away game, we lost that one by 14 points. And I was fortunate enough, unfortunate enough, to make it out to Ireland to watch it. And um, we didn't play a full-strength team. We had chances in that game and gave away a really cheap, easy try to their winger in the first half. And There's one try in it at the end. If we'd have scored one converted try, and they'd have not scored one converted try, that would have been enough to swing that game and get a bonus point. And then we'd be in the last 16 of a European competition and then anything can happen because of the way this contrived arrangement is with the, the pools and top six going through and all the rest of it. We would, it would have been a reasonably good situation just to have a go and at least get another match. but. As it stands, there isn't another match till the 17th of February. Yeah, I mean, we always make the point, don't we, in terms of that we wish we would take it a bit more seriously. It's just a shame they took it seriously when really it was just sort of, well, and, and I guess if brief had lost, then it wouldn't have been quite too late. But, you know, it was it was too little too late. Um, you know, the, these competitions are, are there to, I guess, to be won, of course. But I think we, we can really attack, you know, the Challenge Cup. And like you say, you just need to get through the sort of contrived group, which isn't that difficult. I think you just need to really win a game and pick up a couple of bonus points here and then you have a really good chance of getting through. I mean, slightly unfortunate we we're in the harder group with the more teams, but even so, like you say, a try in it, in it here or there and we could have been through. And, you know, if you're in the last 16 of a competition, we, you know, we've shown that on the day we're actually a decent match for most teams. Um, and, it, yeah, and I think also, especially if you get a home tie, it brings an extra revenue as well, doesn't it, for the club? So surely it's got to be worth having to go at these competitions. I just think it's a never year, never kind of missed opportunity for a bit of a cup run, really, which is, a, of course, it's a shame. Yeah, um, it's a bit of a shame what cup rugby's turned into because I remember it's been four or five years ago we got to the semi-finals against Gloucester and I went to that away game um we didn't play a full strength team there it was the, I think it was the league the the league season that we finished in fourth so you can kind of forgive it in that respect but um I was I remember going there and I went there with my brother and I remember chatting about how we we're going to book our flights to I think it was Santander was going to be the final and um you think, oh, this could be a good trip. And then we, you look at the team sheet and you look at who the performance we put in, and you just thought, oh, well, not taking it seriously. And it used to be, the Cups used to be part of the best thing about being a Falcons fan. And we used to go down to Twickenham and they'd play strong teams. And then we watched us get battered one Cup final against Gloucester down, where was it? Was it Franklin's Gardens that we went to? Yeah, Franklin's Gardens. Yeah, and we got battered by Gloucester there. And I think we got a consolatory try at the end. But every, all everybody focuses upon now is the league. And... I understand that to an extent because you want to get the Champions Cup rugby. But if you're not actually going to try in the cup competitions, then what's the point in getting into them? Because I remember when we played in the Champions Cup three, four years ago, we 
put put out good performances first of all against um, Toulon and Montpellier. Then obviously what happened in Edinburgh happened, but we weren't playing our strongest teams by the end of that. We kind of rolled over and just accepted we weren't going to go through. And if you're not going to do that in the group stages of a highest level tournament, then what do you go for? I just think there's so much pressure nowadays on playing your squad, isn't there? You know, it's especially the the Premiership Cup has now just become a sort of reserve league or reserve tournament, hasn't it? It's just a it's just a means for squad well, teams to play kind of their full squads. I mean, that's why you don't really have the you know the knockout competition with championship teams or lower than that anymore. It's because Premiership teams simply just want to be a way to to, to field their squads. Which, you know, if that's going to be sort of a reserve or A-league competition, then that does leave the Challenge Cup as the main cup competition there. But again, I think there just seems to be a, there is a pressure to, you know, to play these players who who then day you are paying. So that's why, you know, that they play these squads. And it's, obviously it goes without saying, if you've got the better squads, then you're going to be the most successful. So that's, so I think when we have got through to later stages of this competition, when we have come against bigger Teams, for example, like Glasgow, wasn't it last year in the knockout stages where we were just, um, you know, we just annihilated because obviously that's such a stronger squad. And we were, I don't think we sort of played our full strength team. And yeah, and it was just, and I, I think that's where you come up stuck because, because, you know, there is a pressure to play your squad. And I just don't, I just think it's very unlikely nowadays, unless you have the ability to play a very strong full strength team or to play a team which does have squad players in, but they are actually still pretty good and could play first team anyway. You know, it's always going to be a struggle if that's the line you're going to take. And unfortunately, I think that's a position where we are, is where we have to play these players. You know, I guess they're just, in many ways, it's the squad just isn't good enough to go all the way in these European Cup competitions when you've got such high-quality opposition in them. Yeah, and um, I guess there is a silver lining that we could have been unfortunate enough to end up playing against a South African team away. That is a realistic possibility because obviously South Africa is now considered part of Europe for some unknown reason but there you have it again the geniuses in charge of rugby decided that's the case so you've got certain people like Harlequins fans looking at flights to South Africa at the minute it's the Champions Cup not ours but the whole thing is just an absolute mockery yeah I've always thought South Africa's got to be super rugby hasn't it it is ridiculous Um, I mean mean, with that um, you know with the United Rugby Championship goodness knows you that it could just be a world. Well, it's a world league now, isn't it? It's not even sort of like a European league anymore. Um, I mean, you could get it where England just has about six teams in their own league or something, and every other league, every other country is kind of in one sort of global league. Um, it's absurd, really. That's what France, France will, will hold out, won't it? But um, yeah, but I mean, it just goes to show, you know, the ridiculous, convoluted groups that we had in the Challenge Cup, thanks to the inclusion of South African teams. I mean, I suppose a, an away trip to South Africa could be interesting, but it is sort of a bit absurd, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I remember um, as a boy being in the West Stand and looking up at the TV screen and seeing Leinster versus Leicester on. People were bothering to watch it and stop behind after the game and watch on the TV screens with a couple of pints. And you'd look at the, 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 the grounds there and they'd be absolutely packed full of fans. And you look at them now and people just aren't attending because they think, what's the point? It's a, it's a format that nobody understands. Or not many people understand. They seem bothered to look it up because it's not just a simple group of four and you play everyone twice or it's a straight knockout over two legs or something. They've just managed to cock about with it so much that... It's just beyond the average fan. It only gets interesting in the latter stages, but by then half the teams are out and it's completely lost the momentum and he started with. I also, unless it's just sort of, some sort of nostalgia, but I kind of feel that both Heineken Cup and 
challenge cups back in the day were kind of more open. And I think it was more kind of up to debate about who would win, where nowadays I think it just seems to be... <laughs> I mean, having said that, of course, La Rochelle won it for the first time, but that's because, you know, they've got the money. But, you know, it's just been a case of Saracens or Leinster winning it almost every year. And I guess it just gets boring in that regard. Yeah, but as you said, it's the money, and I don't think there's the money in English rugby anymore. You look at Exeter's Exodus, and you see that, hang on a second... They're not going to be a powerhouse anymore. They're, very, they're losing players. And what is actually going to end up happening to the game in England? Because the salary cap is being brought down further, I believe, in future. The clubs have realised that they can't actually go bust. It's happened this year. Falcons, we allegedly live within our means. It'll be interesting to see the accounts in 18 months' time when they come out and see whether we're actually managing it. But there just isn't the, the money in the sport there once was. And unless you go the French route, where it's basically you get a rich benefactor to sponsor you and there's no salary cap for anything, then you will lose the best players and England won't be competitive. And then you think, well, what's actually the point in us scheduling our league fixtures around this? You do wonder what's going to happen in the next three or four years or even the next two years. If, if you like, like we said earlier, Falcons have got players need to play in these cup competitions. He can't be dual registered and playing one version of rugby for Tyndale Blade in one week and then another version for Falcons a week later. I do fear that we're seeing the start of the end or the middle of the end. I think the start of the end might have started a few years ago. Well, I mean, I've always said, actually, that the way to go is the French model where you just kind of, you just desperately hope that someone rich will come and take you over. That's how you get your way to success because that's how you get, that's how you get success in Europe is being backed, whether it's by a, a union or um, or by a rich benefactor. Um, so I, mean, I know it's, it's you know you have the boom and bust in France that like you have with Pepinion and, and um, oh the, Toulon. Well, Toulon to an extent, I suppose. Um, Biarritz, for example, I know oh, you yeah. have you have sort of that you have boom and bust with more so in France than you do in England. I mean, having said that, of course, wasps have gone, but you know it is le- it is less prevalent in England. But I still think that's the way to go. The French one has to be in a professional top level professional sport. You know, money is a factor and it's competitive, and you have to be financially competitive. And England just isn't. And all the other issues we've spoken about, and both at home and really. England's issues in terms of European competition. It doesn't look very good, unfortunately, in the future, but we'll have to see how it turns out. That's a bit, can't be trying not to be too doom and gloom, I guess. Well, if you look at the French League, we've said it's basically unlimited money's allowed. And then you look at the other European, the URC, it's franchise-based, and they're all sponsored by the union of the country. So you've got Scottish and Welsh teams who are funded by the RFUs of those countries. It's the same in Ireland. And then Italy, I'm not actually too sure on the funding model there, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's once again funded by the unions themselves. And then you think, well, no wonder the Leinster win it every year when they're getting funded by the Irish RFU, like the way they are. Right, so a um, bit of a funny episode this week. Odd one again, because I'm not going to bother doing a, a roundup of the Premiership because nothing happened. Europe can't be bothered. We're out. That's all we need to know. Um, in the local leagues, um, a lot of matches didn't happen. There's very few that were played, probably because of frozen pitches. North, I think, a number of leagues had them as a gap weekend. So, Bladen lost to file, 12 points to 31. Arnick beat Doncaster, 27 points to 20, which puts them back into second place in Regional 1 Northeast. Regional 2 North, Penrith gets score of the week with a 92 points to 20 win over Keswick. The only game to happen in Durham, Northumberland 1 was Medicals beating Acklam. Durham, Northumberland 2... Only one game occurred, Redka beating Barnard Castle, and there were no games in Durham Northumberland Division 3. So that rounds up quite a, an odd week for the podcast, but um, we'll speak to you again 
the next few weeks, hopefully with something a bit different. So goodbye from me. Bye, everyone.